So 100 uh, years ago, uh, people were celebrating on the streets. Um, there's a lovely uh, thing on the BBC website, a lady called Grace. Uh, she's 112 years old. And um, she was telling, how she, she remembered people going to war and all the sadness of that, the, the tears. And then she was uh, telling how she remembered Armistice Day and people dancing and singing and just the streets of London, such celebration that after four years of bloodshed and horror, an armistice was signed and just an outpouring of joy and relief. People talked, didn't they, of World War I as the war to end all wars? We've heard that phrase. Uh, and I think the, the thought was, this is so horrendous. Human beings, surely we'll learn from this, won't we? Surely, as we see what our modern weapons can do to each other, we won't do this again, will we? That was what they hoped a hundred years ago, and sadly we know uh, better than that. Uh, Siegfried Soon was one of the poets who wrote during the First World War. He wrote a poem called Attack, about men going into battle. This is the second half of it. Men jostle and climb to meet the bristling fire, lines of grey muttering faces mask with fear they leave their trenches going over the top while time ticks blankly and busy on their wrists and hope with furtive eyes and grappling fists flounders in mud oh Jesus make it stop Only for four years, Jesus didn't make it stop, did he? And for many people, an experience of suffering, maybe just very personal, maybe it's in the family, maybe it's something like our community's been through, maybe it is war and famine and all the rest of it. An experience of suffering makes people say, well, why doesn't God do something? And they start to, to doubt God's existence or God's goodness or God's power to do anything in the world. Can he make it stop? Will he make it stop? Why doesn't he make it stop? And that's why we're turning to the last book of the Bible, the Revelation 21. Because here we see a vision of the end. Here we see the world we all want. And we see the day that war will stop. And much more than that. So that's the idea of going to Revelation 21. It's full of picture language. I realized as I'd chosen it and I was preparing it and finalizing it yesterday, and I thought, gosh, there's a lot of pictures here. So, so run with this, roll with this. They're all sort of mixed together. But two headlines, they're on the sheet for a reference point. There's a promise here from Almighty God that there will be a day where there is a new creation and a new community where everything is right. New creation, that's verse 1, isn't it? Let me read it. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. New heaven and a new earth, notice that little detail, a new earth. This is a physical existence. It's not floating around in the clouds or turning into stars or something like that. It's a future bodily existence on, on the new planet earth. The first heaven, first earth passed away. And do you notice that little phrase right at the end of verse 1, there was no longer any sea, which is not something to worry about. You, you, I'm sure there'll be beach holidays. It'll all be fine. 
it's, it's rather the sea is there a picture, it's an image. For the Jewish people, um, the sea was an image of chaos for them. And so the news that there won't be any sea is that there won't be any chaos in this new heaven, this new earth. The things that rip our world apart, they won't be ripping our world apart anymore. The things that wreck it won't be there. Verse 4, the old order of things has passed away. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. No more getting ill. No more funerals. Things not broken anymore. No more broken hearts. No more broken promises. No more broken dreams. Relief from suffering, from pain, from chaos. Isn't that the world we all want? It's the world as it's meant to be. Everything reaching its potential. Because verse 5, God says, I am making everything new. That day's coming. It's, it's really what we need. We know it's what we need. Even the most optimistic person in this room, I don't think you'd be able to convince the rest of us that, you know, the human race, we just need a few more years and we'll work it all out. We've had quite a long time and we've n- really not worked it out, have we? We need God to do something that we are not able to do ourselves. And the promise here is that he will. He will do it. And and if you think, well, gosh, lots of people make promises, politicians make promises all the time, and we don't really trust any or many of those. Well, God, when he makes a promise, he's given us us a very big, clear sign that he can keep this. And that is, and you can look into this, and there are books that have been written, and I'd encourage you to read them. There are books that are written that you can investigate the evidence around Jesus Christ and his resurrection. You see, when they killed Jesus, three days later, he broke death and came back, never to die again. So actually, this new creation that's promised has broken into our messed up and mixed up world. It is a sign that he's the one to look to. He's the one with the answers. At last is someone with truth about the world now and about the future forever. So a new creation, new heaven, new earth. And it's not something individual. It's not that it'll be different for you and different for me and different for everyone, a sort of heavenly virtual reality. You know, however you imagine it, however I imagine it. No, no, it's not about how I imagine it and how I think it should be. It's about God and how he says it will be. And that means, if you look down, a new community. Verse 3, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be their God. That's what makes it a perfect place. It's God's place. The picture in verse 2 is of of a city. But this one has no homelessness, no stabbings, no tube strikes. At the same time, verse 2, the the picture is, it's a city which is also a beautiful bride. As I say, you're putting pictures together here. This is dazzling perfection. Think of the best wedding you've ever been to. Maybe your own. Um, maybe one you've seen on TV, one of the uh, royal weddings. And, and just everything organized, so you're focused on the happy couple as the bride walks down the aisle, just looking dazzling. And, and she's united with her husband. Well, that's what we're looking forward to, and, and it's God and his people. Verse 3, they will be his people. God himself will be their God. And you can actually sense the excitement in this passage, looking forward to that day. God is looking forward to being 
directly present with people at last. Us united with him, him united with us, and us united with each other. It's a city of total harmony, a new community. Um, I found a story, I was looking for one of just someone, an ordinary soldier. Uh, I found one um, of a guy called Theo Chadburn, a miner from Sheffield, on the April 9th, 1918, so just over 100 years ago. He was 29 years old, writing to his wife, Lily. Uh, his uh, letters home were always, always written in pencil on a kind of cream-lined paper, and they always ended with a row of kisses. This letter on the 9th of April, 1918, was to be his last. Three days later, he was killed, it's thought, while rescuing colleagues from a burning building. Uh, his body was never found. He wrote to Lily and to his six-year-old daughter, May, I am daily thinking of you and constantly hoping and trusting God for the reunion. May he grant us that privilege. I know it's someone we'd never heard of before. I'd not heard of it before finding his story, but I feel moved by that. I, here's an ordinary man, an ordinary soldier, trusting God for a reunion with his wife and daughter. Three days later, he was to die. He didn't have it in this life. But, but you see, Revelation 21 says he is going to have it, not just for a season of 50 years or however long we live, but actually for eternity with God, with his beloved family, with the whole community of God's people. It's wonderful, this promise. So let me go back to the question I asked after the poem. Why the wait? Why not now? Why not sort it out now if God can do this? Why doesn't he do it now? And the answer is, the new world's only going to come the other side of Judgment Day, the other side of a separation, where God takes everything wrong, everything sinful, everything corrupt, everything evil, everything impure, and he casts it out permanently from this new heaven and new earth. There's going to be that day of separation, of getting rid of all the corruption, and shutting it out forever. And that's what's going to make this amazing new world so pure and perfect, is because there will be everything wrong, expelled from it by God. So I deliberately asked, Boko asked me this morning whether I should read the extra verse that we missed out. I don't know whether everyone read ahead. Um, I didn't want to just read it and not comment on it. It's another picture. It's a picture in verse 8, of a fiery lake of burning sulfur, the second death. And this picture of everything expelled into it that's wrong. It's also just before the passage we read. And I guess in, in war is where we get the closest in, in experience to hell on earth. I mean, the stories you hear from the trenches, the reality of the Holocaust... This is humanity, it's absolute worth. It's when you take the lid off human sin and just take the brakes off and see what humanity is capable of. And one day God will take all of that and consign it forever to hell. And can you sense that that is good news? 
goodness me. It is really good news that that will be permanently excluded. It's good news that there will be justice for all the evil that's been done in the world. No one's going to get away with these atrocities. These dictators who think they're going to get away with it, they're not going to. God will hold them to account. There will be reckoning. There will be a final victory and then a forever peace. And if we look at the list in verse 8 of the kind of people who will be shut out, well, we'll probably think as we begin to read it, yeah, that's right, isn't it? The cowardly, the murderers, they would just wreck the world. They wreck this world. They would wreck the next world. But then if you look down the list, it includes liars. And we think, oh, hmm. anyone here never told a lie? I won't ask you for a show of hands. I will assume that, well, hmm, that's all of us, isn't it? And this is the thing, this is the challenge of the Christian message. And we just need to be patient to say that God's got an answer to this. But the challenge is that actually none of us deserve to be in a perfect place. None of us do, do we? I don't. I know I don't. So God promises new community, new heaven, uh, new earth, new creation. It's all going to be amazing. But, but none of us deserve to be there. None of us are pure enough. And you see, that's why God doesn't do it straight away. It's why, it's why he doesn't sort of snap his fingers, make the world perfect. Because actually it takes... It needs you and me and the world to come right with him, to be there. And so look, would you, if you've got, got it open, that's why I wanted this open, we didn't read it again, but there's a, another picture in verse 9 of the uh, bridegroom. Uh, and uh, it's a picture of a lamb. It comes through the book of Revelation many times. The sort of lamb that used to be in, uh, in the olden world, um, sacrifice. It's, I think it still does go on in some uh, religious practice of a sort of ritualistic killing of a lamb. Uh, And in Judaism, it it was a a deliberate ritual where the person who said, I've done wrong, I deserve death for the wrong I've done, would say, but the lamb is my substitute. The lamb is, the lamb's going to die. I'm going to sacrifice the lamb instead of me. And somehow, in a way, I don't really understand, God will say, okay, your sin is forgiven because the lamb has died. And it was all just a huge picture. It ended when Jesus came because Jesus was the lamb who died. He died uh, for the sin that I've committed and you've committed uh, in the place. Just, Just like a hero does in war where someone dies to save others. The Bible says God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. He went to hell and back again, literally, so that you and me and anyone else who comes to him can be part of this new creation, God's people forever, part of this new word, world. Uh, verse 5, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So lots of pictures here. Uh, one final one to tell us how, how we connect with this. How do we receive this? How do we get clean again? It's a picture there in verse 6 of a spring. I don't know whether you drink spring water or just tap water. Uh, but it's a spring of the water of life. That's uh, verse 6. And it's saying, if you're thirsty, if you're thirsty, if you, if you know, yeah, I, I, I have done wrong things in my life. We've just looked at the household this morning. <laughs> there's, there's stuff that, there's harsh words been exchanged this morning, maybe, just getting ready on time. 
yeah, maybe not huge things, not horrible, horrible things, but lots and lots of small things. Like, I've done it wrong in my life. I know I'm thirsty. And also, I know there's more. I, you know, life's great. You know, here we live in West London rather than in, well, in Yemen or one of the other parts of the world we see on the news. And we just think, wow, yeah, we live a quite a kind of peaceful life a lot of the time. Sure, there's a school playground for people in the room. That's, that's pretty, you know, crazy sometimes. But, but actually, we have a good life. And yet, I know, that, I know there's more. I know that there is a spiritual dimension. I'm sort of thirsty for that. And if that's you, you, you don't have to buy water. This is the news of Jesus Christ. You don't have to sort of somehow save up, do enough good works and buy it. You don't have to sort of prove yourself worthy like a hero in war. You just need to drink. That's the Christian message around Jesus Christ. You just need to drink. He, he talked about giving a spring of living water flowing from within, the, the Holy Spirit of God coming to live in our lives. The picture here, a spring of water that's flowing that cleans us. It's about coming to him and receiving from him. That's what makes someone uh, one of the people of God putting their faith in him. I'd love you to know more about that. I'd love you to talk. I'd love to, I'd love to talk more about that. Um, or you may know others here at church. Um, this is something that will help you think about it. Um, on the left-hand side, there's a little sort of funny-shaped, trapezium-shaped table. Um, and uh, there are some of these uh, little booklets here called Knowing God Personally. Help you to think some more. And there's a little prayer. You could pray if you're thinking, you know, I'm thirsty. I want to know how to respond. And this will uh, give you some words. For all of us who are drinking that spiritual water, for all of us who want to and start today or soon to drink that spiritual water, the promise here is that we have something extraordinary to look forward to. God's new creation, the new community. There will be lots of battles along the way. Life is full of battles, physical, spiritual. But we already know the privilege of having God as Heavenly Father each step of the way. And the extraordinary privilege of this stream of living water, the Holy Spirit, refreshing our souls from within. We taste it now. One day we'll know it face to face. And this promise will become a reality. He will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things will have passed away. That is the world we all want. And it's coming through Jesus Christ.